The following message was given by Robert Green on Sunday, May 12th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Romans chapter 8. We are in a mini-series of sorts, um, a very short flyover um, of different dimensions of God's steadfast love for, for inconsistent saints like you and I. We're taking some time through the month of May to, to look specifically in Romans chapter 8 at what Paul reminds us that God has done, what he's promised, and what he continues to do for saints like us who love him, who, who really do love him, who, who long to glorify him with our lives, and yet we find ourselves continuing to do the very things we hate. And Paul gave voice to this reality In chapter 7, you might remember when he said that of his own life, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've we've been asking ourselves, I mean, can can you remember, can you know, do you know that feeling that Paul's talking about there? I mean, for some of you, you might remember it even this morning. Some of you like to be on time to church. And so you stand by your door, car keys at the ready, most of your people dressed and ready to go, and church starts in 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, shoes that were at one time on people's feet are now lost. (laughs) More people need to go to the bathroom than you have bathrooms. And someone in your family has decided 15 minutes is enough time to make coffee or make something else to eat. And so there you are standing at the door, and what they get is not the patient, helpful, encouraging Sunday morning presence that you intended, what everyone in your house and everyone who is going to drive on the road with you in the next 15 minutes gets is the rage monster. Are you familiar with the rage monster? You ever watch Dude Perfect? In my house, we have a 14-year-old boy and then two girls. Uh, eight and ten. So family movie night has gotten very hard for us. And the one thing that everybody can agree on is Dude Perfect. So if you haven't watched Dude Perfect, go look up Dude Perfect Rage Monster and see if you can't sympathize. But that, that might not be you. Maybe that's not the way that the capacity for sin in your life shows itself. But I'm sure if you were honest with yourself, if you just gave yourself a moment this morning It wouldn't take you long to think back on recent days, maybe even earlier this morning, when you came face to face and were astounded by your continued capacity for sin. Doing the very things your heart desperately doesn't want to do. From blatantly lying to your friends and your colleagues about your accomplishments, about your knowledge. You know, you know those conversations you have with people where you begin to stretch the truth just a little bit and it seems justified for whatever reason. You're, you're trying to empathize maybe with them or, or maybe you're trying to make yourself look a particular way just in that moment and you begin to stretch it and all of a sudden you can't really come to terms with what's coming out of your mouth. The story gets stretched so far. Maybe you find yourself having that out-of-body experience being astounded by your capacity to speak so negatively 
about someone else that you love to destroy their reputation in the eyes of others who know them. Maybe you've heard words and statements and emotions come out of your mouth to someone else about someone else you both know and you've stood back and like, where did that come from? Maybe you've sat down to spend time enjoying God and his word, enjoying God in prayer, just seeking to enjoy him and see him again clearly and you find yourself at the other end of a long binge on websites on the computer you never should have been at in the first place. It won't take long for any of you in here to sit back for just a moment and and think back to a recent moment when you came face to face, even as a follower of Jesus, face to face with your own capacity for evil. Because there are times when even as those who love Jesus long to follow him with our whole heart, we find ourselves utterly astounded by our continued ability to do the very things that we hate. And it's in those moments left untreated that our hearts can become very despairing. Our hope to ever be something other than what we see right there in that moment, it can feel so fleeting. The idea of actually being conformed in the image and likeness of Christ and reflecting something of God's love and patience and mercy to others, it, it seems so far away. And it's in those moments that our hearts can become very susceptible to lies. And how could God continue to love someone like me. This has got to be the end of the line for he and I. I love how the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 42, speaking of the Lord's steadfast love, says a bruised reed, God will not break. A smoking flax, he he will not quench. And if there's ever a time when we as followers of Christ can feel like bruised reeds and and smoking flax about to be put out. It's in those moments when we come face to face with our continued capacity for sin in spite of all that our heart longs to do. And so it's in moments like that, maybe especially in moments like that, that that Paul has been such a wonderful friend and, and counselor and guide as he's taking us into Romans chapter eight, giving us the counsel we all need. Counsel that we as members of the body together, if this is your home, have committed to be able and willing to give to one another. Paul simply takes us back to the truth of the gospel, reminding us again of what God does to assure our hearts. Because it's in those moments when we're completely taken aback by our capacity for sin and even in the moments that feel like the valleys of the shadow of death that may have nothing to do with our own sin but yet the suffering and the struggle and the brokenness of a world that we're still living in leave us in these moments we feel the same kind of despair it's it's in those places you and I can't look for the assurance of God's love in terms of ourself we need eyes to help us clearly see who God is for us and who we are to him and even in those moments just how blessed we are by his grace. And this is the counsel that Paul is giving us. I mean, so far in Romans chapter eight, if you've been with us, we've already seen Paul reminding us that in those moments when when we're astounded by our own sin, God isn't cooking up a new batch of judgment for us. He's not started all over again saying, well, here we go again. What can I do to torture him, to punish him, to pour my wrath out on her for this? No, Paul reminds us that 
God has already given us the finished work of his son, the endless power of his Holy Spirit, that right there, even in that moment, for those who are in Jesus, by the grace of God, there is no more condemnation for you. That lie your heart is beginning to believe that God is now against you in this, it's not true. There's no more condemnation for you now because God has condemned sin in his son. And not only that, he has given you the endless power of his Holy Spirit, which has given you an entirely new nature. His spirit, Paul has shown us, has taken up residence in your heart and where the law of sin, the principle, the power of sin at one time, apart from the grace of God, kept your heart in slavery to the power of sin. The presence of his spirit has broken you free, has set you free from that enslaving power of sin and has given you an entirely new capacity, a new nature and a new potential to love the Lord God with all that you are and to reflect that love to your neighbor in the way that he has loved you. He's given you a new nature. He's set you free. He's removed condemnation. And as we saw last week, even in those moments, maybe especially in those moments, it's God the Holy Spirit that does the work of bearing witness to your heart, testifying to your heart that you are indeed God's child, meaning God the Holy Spirit does the work in your heart to press home to your heart the particular realities of God's fatherly love to you. He testifies and bears witness to your heart that the truths of the gospel, all that God has promised, is yes and amen to you in Jesus. But there's more. There's something else that God is doing that Paul wants us to remember and not just be comforted by, but actually to be encouraged by, to actually have the courage deposited into our hearts that might change not only the way we think, not only the way we feel, but the way that we begin to respond. And so if you've got Romans chapter 8 open, we're going to go back to the same verses that we read last week because there's something else that Paul says God does in particular for those who are in Christ. And it's so subtle that you might miss it, but at the same time, it's so familiar to many of us that we're prone to misinterpreting it and misunderstanding it. So Romans chapter 8, let's pick it up in verse 12, and we'll read through verse 17 and see if you can hear. See if you can hear something else that Paul says in particular God is doing for those who are in Christ. Verse 12, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So subtle you might miss it. So familiar you're prone to misunderstand it or misinterpret it. Did you catch what Paul said? Paul said in those verses, the very same spirit that has taken up residence in our heart, the very same spirit that has set us free from the enslaving power of sin, the very same spirit that is at work bearing witness to our heart that all of the promises of the gospel are yes and amen to us in Jesus. It's all true. And pressing home to our heart in particular ways, the fullness of God's love towards you, that same spirit is also, Paul said, leading you. Do you hear it? 
Paul says, in fact, that a key piece of evidence proving that you are indeed God's child is that his spirit is leading you. Look at verse 14. Paul says, for all who are led by the spirit of God, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You see, one way that the Holy Spirit shows you or confirms to you that you are indeed a child of God is by leading you. So on one hand, in those moments of of doubt, in those moments of discouragement, in those moments of despair, you begin to ask yourself the question, am I really his child? I mean, given all this, you begin to ask yourself, am I really his? Your answer to that question could very well be, well, am I being led by his spirit? Because being led by his spirit is evidence that I am indeed his child, Paul says. And if you can answer that question, yes, then you can know for sure that all of God's promises to you that he's been rolling out in Romans chapter 8 are yes to you. Because the leading of God the Holy Spirit is the inheritance of all of God's children. And who doesn't want that? I mean, who doesn't want to be led by God the Holy Spirit? But here's the thing. Understanding what Paul means when he talks about the leading of the Holy Spirit here in Romans chapter 8 will make all the difference in the world in those moments of darkness, in those moments of doubt, in those moments when you once again come face to face with your own capacity for sin and you ask the question of your heart, am I really his? Understanding what Paul means when he talks about being led by his spirit will make all the difference in how you answer and respond to that question. So it's of utmost importance for us this morning to make sure we understand what Paul means and the promise that he's holding out when he says, for those who are by the grace of God in Christ, the inheritance that is ours as his child is being led by his spirit. What does he mean being led by his spirit? In particular already, I've said that this can be so familiar to many of us that we're prone to misinterpret it. I mean, how many of us have have heard someone or or have said ourselves to someone else. I just feel like regardless of what it looks like or what it says, I just feel like God's leading me to do this. You know that's the trump card in conversation, right? Whether what you want to do makes any sense, whether what you want to do is lining up in any way with what God says in his word, whether what you want to do is obviously good or bad for those you love or your family, When you say, yeah, I feel like God's leading me to do this, this is what the Spirit's leading me to do, you know you've left no room for anyone else to help you because their word and their encouragement now against your subjective experience of God leading you to do it. I mean, people talk about being led by God in everything. When I got saved as a young adult, I got saved into the more charismatic stream of the evangelical church and And we all in our early 20s, we were all 21 to like 24. We all spent our time at the church, volunteering in the youth group, just spending all of our time together. And there was a strain of of influence that came through that church at the time. And I had close friends, people that I loved, people who were educated, people who loved the Lord, who would wake up in the morning and they would sit on the edge of their bed and they would not proceed to get dressed for the rest of the day until they felt like the Holy Spirit told them what shirt to wear until the Holy Spirit told them what pants to put on, until the Holy Spirit told them what shoes to put on with those pants and that shirt, 
Yes and amen to the wisdom of God the Holy Spirit as we seek to make decisions that honor him and and love others with our life. Yes and amen to the work of God the Holy Spirit helping us to see what's wise and fruitful for the kingdom and our life that we might keep in step with him as Paul says. But is that what he's talking about in Romans chapter eight? Is that what he means? In Romans chapter eight, Paul is not talking about being led by God's Spirit to marry a certain person or being led by God's Spirit to take a certain job or being led by God's Spirit to go to a particular school. Why can I say that? Because it's the context of the verse. Look down at it. Verse 14 starts with the word for, which means because. And since it starts with that word, it means to understand verse 14 you've got to connect it with what Paul said in verse 13. So look at what Paul said in verse 13. Paul says, if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you will live for, because. The foundation for why you will live, right, is all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So why will you live? You'll live because you're a child of God. Why will you live? Because you're a child of God, because that is the inheritance of God's children. We are now co-heirs with Christ, Paul said in verse 17. The wages of sin were death, and those wages have been paid by Christ. So all who are hidden in Christ by the grace of God will live forever as God's children with him. So you will live because you are God's child. What's the evidence that you are God's child? You are being led by his spirit. So grammatically, you've got to connect that being led by his spirit with what he said right before it. If you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is what being led by the Spirit is making clear. What does it mean for Paul in Romans chapter 8 to be led by God's Spirit? It means that God's Spirit is leading his children into battle with their sin. That's what it means. If you are led by the Spirit as a child of God, you are being led by him to make war on your sin. And this ongoing battle with your sin by the Spirit of God is evidence to you, part of his bearing witness to you, that you are indeed God's child. See, it's not just the the Spirit's work to press home to your heart in particular ways the reality of God's love towards you in those moments. He does that, but it's not to just leave you there. That pressing home the love of God towards you in your heart, the fullness of all God's promise to you in Jesus, making that real to you through his witness-bearing work, that's an aspect of his leading because it produces something in you. It does something in you. It shapes in you a different affection in your heart and a different response to sin. The Holy Spirit of God that's taken up residence in the hearts of God's children leads us as God's children to put our sin to death. This is what the saints of old called the mortification of the sin. They called it that because the original English authorized versions of the Bible and even the King James Version translates these verses if you mortify the deeds of the body. We don't use that word much anymore, but maybe, and I would argue the greatest work of theology written in the English language was written by a man named John Owen about these two verses. Romans chapter 8 verses 12 and 13. It was called The Mortification of Sin and and you can actually read it in this collection right here where a couple of authors, Kelly Capsick and and, um, um, who else wrote it with Kelly? I don't remember who else did it. Justin Taylor. They took Owen's work 
And they didn't change it. They just took out some of the rigid old English to make it more readable. You can read about it right here. But Owen preached a series of sermons to students at Oxford University in the 17th century. And here's the trippy thing about it. In the 17th century, do you know how old students at Oxford University were? Anywhere between 12 and 17 years old. Times have changed a bit. But they haven't really changed that much. Because the thing that Owen felt teenage boys at that time, between 12 and 17, needed more than anything else was an entire book's worth of sermons about the need to put sin to death in their life. That hasn't changed much. It's the same need that we all have this day. The leading of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's children is a leading to put our sin to death, to mortify our sin. When we talk about mortification these days, we talk about being embarrassed by something. But that's not what it means. It means to literally cut off, to kill at the source, to take away the the life source of something so that it withers and dies. It's like a choking out or a smothering of something to the point of death. What Paul is saying is that the leading of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of God's children is a leading into doing violence against our own sin. And that process starts by recognizing sin for what it really is. The enemy of our soul that it really is. One of the things that Owen made clear in the beginning of his work on the mortification of sin is that you and I can have no sense of neutrality regarding our own sin. In fact, this is what he said. He said, let no man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the bellies of his own lusts. And it wasn't just Owen who said that. He got that from Paul. Do you know where Paul got that from? He got it from Jesus. Jesus made it abundantly clear to his disciples that we can't make peace with our own sin. We all have this capacity to be completely deceived regarding the reality of our sin. We all have this capacity to be completely deceived, to justify this lie, to justify this half-truth, to justify this gossip, to justify this greed, to justify this envy as a slight infraction. It's merely a flesh wound to our heart, right? Not that big of a deal. I mean, if you've been reading CBR with us, you know this week we started with the book of Leviticus this week. I mean, part of the role of the sacrificial system in the lives of God's people in that day was to constantly confront them with the reality and the desperate need of their sin for for atonement. This is how heinous their sin was in the eyes of God. What Owen is saying, what Paul is saying, what Jesus has been saying, what God has been saying to his people all along is that we can become so easily fooled. And the more we give in to those lies about the seriousness of our sin, the greater the levels of compromise we find ourselves being led into. Sin has one intention, Paul says. He said it in Romans 8 multiple times already. It has one intention, and that is to destroy you. And if you and I are going to put to death the deeds of our body by the Spirit, we must have the same intention towards our sin as sin has towards us. One writer put it this way, you and I must stop making peace with ears and eyes and tongues and hands and feet that betray us like Judas, that go to the other side with the enemy and become instruments of sin and make war on our soul. No, as Paul says, you and I must put to death the deeds of our body. And if we're going to fully understand exactly what that means, we've got to understand a bit about these deeds of the body. 
These deeds of the body are just those things that we're about to do or that we have done that have been prompted and motivated by sin. They're simply the outworking of sin. They are the enjoyment, the visible enjoyment of sin in our own heart. And Paul says we're to put those deeds to death. In fact, he'll say later in Romans 13, we're to make no provisions at all for the flesh. So we're to seek to see those things that we do in our lives that are not honoring to God put to death, never to come about again. But if we're going to put those things to death, we've got to do more than simply control how they show up. If you want to put to death a a, a weed or a thorn that seeks to choke out the life of something in your garden, you can't just cut the thorns off of it. You've got to get after it at its root. You might remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. Sin sin is much deeper than the deeds. The things that proceed out of the mouth, Jesus said, they come from the heart. Those deeds of the body, they, they come from the heart. It's for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and slanders. Those things are born out of something. Deeds go, deeds are just the surface. Deeds are just the flowering, the fruiting of the reality and the presence of sin in the heart. So to actually kill the fruit, you've got to get after the bad root. And it's here. This is what I want us to see. It's here that the leading of the Holy Spirit becomes so essential and so beautiful. I want you to look at these verses with me now, and I want you just to watch and listen to how Paul explains to us and encourages us and how the Holy Spirit leads us and enables us to actually make war against our sin. You might remember last week, we spent more time in verses 15 on. In verse 15, Paul said, for or because, which means it's connected to what he just said in verse 14, which is connected to what he just said in verse 13. He said, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now the work of the Holy Spirit that is testifying the the fullness of God's grace to your heart that is leading you as his child to put sin to death, it is also working in your heart and has given you the spirit, the, the release to not look at God in fear. In these moments when you've come face to face with your sin again now, you don't have to be slavishly afraid of God's reaction to you. No, he's given you the the spirit of adoption as sons by whom even in those moments and maybe most particularly in these moments we cry out, Father, Abba, the spirit is, is bearing witness to our heart that we are even in those moments children of God. You see, when you begin to put it all together the way that Paul is writing it, he is reminding us that it is the very Holy Spirit of God that leads us to put sin to death in our lives by changing the affections of our hearts. You see, the Holy Spirit is at work making real to you the truth of God's grace and love towards you, the truth of your adoption. He does that by making real to you the truth of God's personal fatherly love to you and by cultivating in your heart new affections towards God. So the good news to us in those moments, when we're face to face with our capacity to sin, is that the very spirit of God that's taken up residence in our heart is doing the witness bearing work to us even in those moments of God's love and his grace and his mercy towards us in Jesus. And if we are indeed his child, he is leading us even in those moments, out of those moments, to put that sin to death by cultivating in our hearts a greater affection for God's love, 
a greater affection for God's mercy, a greater affection for God than we have for the sin that has so easily beset us. That's what he's doing. The good news isn't go kill sin and then God will love you. That's what our heart begins to believe. That's the lie our heart begins to cling to in those moments. I've got to put this thing to death. I've got to stop doing this. Man, I find myself doing this every single day. Well, I need a five-day streak and then I can go back to God. Then I can go back and say, here we go. I fixed it or better. Are we good? Are we making a deal? Do you love me now? The gospel isn't kill sin and then God will love you. Paul has been reminding us as he stacked all of these realities together in Romans 8 that it's by the grace of God through faith in Jesus you and I are already accepted. We're already approved. We're already adopted. The enslaving power of sin has been broken in our hearts. In fact, in chapter 6, Paul has already said sin no longer has dominion in our heart. Because of this, we get to go to war against our sin. And when we go to war against our sin, we get to go to war pursuing it in the power of his spirit out of a joy rising in our hearts from the reality of our acceptance before God by his grace. We get to go to war out of joy. This is what the leading of the Holy Spirit looks like to Paul in Romans chapter 8. God the Holy Spirit leads you to make war on your sin by making the love of God more real and more enjoyable to your heart than whatever promise or fleeting pleasure sin held out to you in that moment. It's what Thomas Chalmers caught grip of centuries ago and wrote in The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. You'll come across that in different classes here in the church. It is the expulsive power of a greater affection for God as Father that the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to and cultivating in our hearts. And when we come to see him more clearly and love him more deeply and hold tight to the realities of his grace to us more fully, that affection in our heart that is rising up and being rooted in us by the work of the Holy Spirit begins to shed light on the reality of the sin that we once grasped for. We begin to see sin's intention to us more clearly. All of a sudden we see, it's my enemy. It wants to put me to death. And all of a sudden my intention towards it changes. I'm not trying to get out of it what I can without anybody knowing. I'm not trying to manipulate it to my advantage. All of a sudden I see that it seeks to destroy me. And out of a genuine affection and delight in God's continued grace and mercy and empowering of me, I want to smother that thing out. I don't make peace with it anymore. This is what the leading of the Holy Spirit looks like in the hearts of God's children. We pursue holiness. We pursue repentance from a deeper joy in Jesus. That's what it looks like. Let me see if I can give you a different picture that might make it a little more clear. All all of us, I, I would say almost every person in this room, if it is not The story of your life personally, it's the story of someone probably close to you. All of us have a connection or at least related to the devastating power of of cancer in our day. You know, cancer is just a multiplying of cells gone wrong. That's what tumors are. God the Holy Spirit works in our hearts a bit like a wise oncologist that applies to the the tumors of sin in our hearts, the, the radioactive realities of the gospel. That's what he does. And as he does that, as he presses home to our heart, bearing witness to our heart, the realities of God's mercy and grace to us in Jesus, 
That radioactive work does the work of weakening the power and the effect of those sinful tumors in our life, weakening to the point that they're gone. That's what the leading and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in the hearts of God's people. Sin looks to take your life. Sin is looking to rob your joy. Sin is looking to absolutely cut your assurance off at the knees so that your life is spent in the futility of not fully understanding the confidence and the assurance of God's love towards you that you might just limp along until he returns. The radioactive work of the gospel is being applied to your heart by God the Holy Spirit that you might be able to put that thing to death and you might see it for what it is and out of a greater delight and a greater affection for who God is for you and what he's done for you, you might believe and turn to better promises. Friends, this is the inheritance for all of God's children. It is the work and the ministry of God the Holy Spirit for all who are in Christ. It's not just the confirming work. It's not just the applying work and the pressing homework to our hearts of all the promises of God. That's true, but that does something. We've stacked them together the way Paul has because that does something. That confirmation is what then motivates us, what leads us to put our sin to death, to mortify our sin through a greater joy the joy of what God's done for us through his son. Friends, this is the leading of the Holy Spirit that is ours as children of God. I mean, Peter reminds us in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, here's just the reality. As long as we take breath on this earth and Jesus has not returned, as long as we are here, sin will seek to wage war on your soul. That's just the reality. You and I have to have the mindset that our life on this earth is war. That it's a lifelong battle. But we're not left to ourselves. The very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in our hearts. Making real to us the truth of God's grace towards us. Pressing home to our hearts the reality of his love for us. Cultivating in us a new affection, a deeper affection for God's grace and mercy to us as our father. That he leads us then into battle against the sin that so desires to rob us of our joy. Friends, this is the leading ministry work of the Holy Spirit. He testifies to your heart. He helps you see more clearly what God has done for you in Jesus. If this is true, and it is, how much more willing and how much more able will you and I be to then put to death the things that seek to put our assurance to death? This is the evidence. This is part of the assuring work that we are indeed God's children. So this morning, as we prepare to respond to God's word, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to give you a couple of minutes to pray. And in that time, here's what I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, 
you have believed upon Jesus with all that you are, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, as you have a couple of minutes in silence to reflect on God's word, to pray, I'm going to encourage you to ask God by his Holy Spirit to make more real to you in your heart this morning his affection for you, that he would help you to see your sin for what it really is, that he would drive the roots of his grace deeper in your heart and cultivate in you a new level of affection for him, that out of that new affection, you might be willing to do the work of smothering, smothering to death the sin that so seeks to rob you of joy. And if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, we are glad that you are here. My encouragement to you this morning as we take a couple of minutes to reflect is to pray and to ask God to help you see. Ask him to help you see your need for him. Friend, I want nothing more for you this morning than for you to see your need for God's forgiveness and for God to make real to you what he has done for you through his son that you might quit your project of justifying yourself by your own levels of morality and you might believe upon Jesus for all that you are and all that you need And the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, will be alive and at work in your heart, making real to you his affection for you. We're going to give you a couple of minutes to reflect, to pray, and then for those who have repented of their sins and believed upon Christ, we are going to remember his his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection as we receive communion. Remembering that he has done in our place what made all the promises of God yes and amen to us, that we can proclaim our confidence in God's love towards us as we remember Jesus' sacrifice in our place. Then we'll sing, we'll celebrate, and we'll be sent out from here to be his people. So let me pray for us, and then we'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect and pray, pray yourselves. Father, we thank you this morning that in our ongoing conflict with sin, you didn't leave us to ourselves, you didn't leave us to our wisdom. You didn't leave us to our grit or our determination, but you gave us your very spirit to do the work of making real to us the very things that sin sin seeks to deceive us of. To make us more alive to your affection, to make us more satisfied by your grace, to make us more delighted in your work for us and your son. So I ask this morning that you would do the miracle that only you can do and you know how to do it in every heart here. You know what every heart here needs. And so I'd ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, would create a deeper affection in our hearts for you. An affection that would prove to be an expulsive power that would lead us to putting to death the lies and the false promises that sin so holds out before us. We ask that this morning for our continued maturation and joy in Jesus' name that you would do this. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Robert Green given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.